Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you on behalf of administrators and students and families. And just in a moment, I want to pray that these funds, all 340 some odd thousand dollars, are used in a great way to bring honor and glory to God and point to Jesus Christ. So let's pray to that end. Um, Lord, as I think about this, I think about um, your word that says it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And so I pray that as these funds are used to buy glasses or to offset funeral costs or to, to help a, a staff member at a school, um, I pray that all of this would, wouldn't point to radius and it, it wouldn't point to the school district or even an administrator, but Lord, it would point to you. And as a result, there would be this overwhelming sense of gratitude for your kindness. And I pray in that, that They'd want to know more about you, and they would, um, uh, yeah, just be led to, to repentance, Lord, if need be. So we, we pray that these funds would go far and wide for the sake of the gospel and your son, Jesus Christ. Thanks for the honor it is to partner with you in this mission. It's in your son's name. Amen. Good stuff. Uh, some more exciting news I thought I'd share with you today. Not quite as exciting, but a little bit. Uh, I got a new car the last couple of weeks. Wow. I, I'm going to show you a picture of it. I'm pretty proud. It is a, uh, it's a grand marquee. It's a grand marquee. I got a buddy that said if I tinted the windows, I'd look like an undercover FBI agent, thinking that's pretty cool. Maybe I ought to do that and kind of cruise through some neighborhoods. Um, you get a new car, you feel pretty good about it, right? You, you're like, hey, you want to take care of it. It changes your attitude. And those of you that know me, like you know that I'm not a big car guy. And so my last car had mold on it from 2012. Like I'm, I'm, I just, I don't do that well. But this one, I'm starting to say, hey, it might be time for a wash. Like kids get your junk out of it. Like I'm, I want to take care of this. I've been known to do some pretty rough things with a car. In the past, this, this last year, I, I went deer hunting, and because I don't have a truck, I needed to, to put a, I mean, the only place I knew where to put this thing was in the back of my, my Buick Lucerne, and my Buick gave up the ghost, it couldn't do it anymore, and then driving down the road to the processor, this is what you saw behind, go ahead to the next one, that was um, just... <laughs> Real, real, uh, I mean, like, so here's the deal. Like, for me, I'm looking at my new car, and I'm glad deer season's over because push come to shove. I don't know I could put a deer back there. Like, this is my new car, right? It's my new one. I got to tread lightly here. I mean, we do this with all kinds of stuff. Let's say you get a new phone. You get your new phone, and what do you do? You put a case on it. You put a protector on it. You're careful not to damage it. You're careful not to drop it. And then after a month or so, what ends up happening, right? You, you start throwing it around. It doesn't matter if it hits anymore. Or, or what about new floors in your home? Like, you get new floors in your home, and immediately up front, you're taking your shoes off when you come in. And like six months later, y'all are slipping, sliding down the hall. Like, nobody cares about the floors as much anymore. It's just the way it works, isn't it? Today, Paul, in Ephesians 4, is going to call us new. He's going to say we are a new creation. So if our attitudes and our mindset and our behaviors change with new cars and new shoes and new phones and new floors, how much more should our attitude and mindset change when we have been made new. 
And we haven't been made new because somebody purchased something with money. We have been made new because we have been purchased by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as I think about this, that means we have a tremendous responsibility for the newness we have in Jesus Christ. Let me show it to you. Ephesians chapter 4, this idea of a new you. Starting right there, we're going to be in the middle of the passage. I want to show it to you starting in verse 22. Ephesians 4 verse 22 says, You took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. You put off the old and you put on the new. And just to be clear, this is not the only place in Scripture where we get this whole old and new thing. In Colossians, we see it. Paul says the exact same thing to the church in Colossae. Matter of fact, it's like chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. He says, put off the old, put on the new. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, we have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I have this old life that is gone and a new life that has come. If anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. We have Romans 6, Again, where Paul says the old me was crucified with Christ and buried, but the new man, I was raised to walk in newness of life. Or Galatians 2.20 says it again. And, and there are more passages. Matthew 6, the list goes on. This idea of put off the old, put on the new. In Galatians 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I don't live, but Christ lives in me. We are new. We are new. And so because of that, that that means we have to act differently and think differently and behave differently. And that is the whole rest of the book of Ephesians. Our marriages should look different. Our parenting should look different. Our mouths, our habits, our, our purity, the way we have relationships, all of this should be different because we are new. We're new. Let me talk about this just for a second to make sure we're all clear in the room when I say we are new. If you or before you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I'm going to stand over here for that. Before you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if this is the cross, that was the old you. If you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's all we are. Old. The old person. The flesh. The old creation. We're over here. Now, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you now are new. But there's still the old you that you have to deal with. So I have this new life, this new freedom, this, this Holy Spirit living within me, these new desires, these new wants. But I still have this old man that's in me with deceitful desires and, and they're wrestling. Does anybody feel that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ? Like daily we have this battle between the, the new me and the old me and these desires that are constantly at war. Now, when Jesus comes back will just be the new man. It'll just be the new. So those brothers and sisters who have gone before us and they are in the presence of Jesus, they're no longer battling with the old man. It is just the new man. We get that to look forward to. But those of us on this side, we have already been made new and not yet been made new. 
So we still have to battle it. We still have to figure it out. So here's the deal. This is what I think Paul is asking you. For the rest of this chapter, and really the rest of the book, he's asking you this. What does the new you really want to do? What does the new you really want to do? Does the new you really want to live in the old? Or does the new you really want to live in the new? That's the question. Does the old you want to have a marriage like it was before? Or does the new you want to have a marriage that honors God and points to the church and Jesus Christ? Does the new you want to gossip and slander? Or does the new you want to edify and have God-honoring relationships? And the list goes on and on and on. What is the new you really want to do. Let's take a look at the, the battle here that's waging. Ephesians 4, let's go back to verse 17 and let's talk about what this old man is. What is this old person like and what is waging war within us? It says this in verse 17, therefore I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in their understanding, or excuse me, from the, the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. That's the old man. The old man sits back and is ignorant. It's futile in its thoughts. It's dark. It's evil, the text says. It says it's hardened and calloused heart, and all it wants is more and more and more. It's got this appetite for more of the world than ever before. That's how it's characterized. He then goes on and, and says it like this in, in verse 22, you took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. That's what we're doing. We're trying to take off the old self. Now, my translation says this. You took off, past tense. I don't know what your translation says, but that's the idea of it's already happened. Literally, it's this. Take off. It's an imperative. It's a command, which means it's not yet. It's got to happen on a regular basis. I've got to practice taking this off. I have to practice taking off these old desires, this ignorant thinking, this darkness inside of me. I have to constantly do it. That's what's going on. Then there's a second way. Let's look at that in verse 20. But this is not how you learned about the Messiah. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him because of the truth is in Christ Jesus, skip down there to verse 23, you are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Do you see the two things are completely opposed to one another? Darkness, futile, ignorant, Hard, calloused heart. Over here we have truth, Jesus, righteousness, likeness of God. Those are the things that are battling in us. This idea that I would say I want to become more and more like Jesus. I want to be holy because he is holy. I want to revise my affairs around him. We call that, here's a big word for you. Put this one in your wordle this week. You ready? Sanctification. 
that I want to become more and more like Christ. More and more. I don't know about you, but this is really difficult, isn't it? Isn't this hard? Am I the only one that struggles with this? Like, you guys got it licked that every day you're able to just live in this, this, this new life without any thought of looking back to darkness or any thought of looking back to evil desires? I think most of us, if we were honest, man, this thing clashes all the time. Let me tell you why. There are two competing truths in you when it comes to sin. Two competing truths, and they're true. Here they are. The first one is this. If I do this sin right now, it'll feel good. And that's true. It'll feel good for a moment. Bible calls it a fleeting pleasure, but it's a pleasure. No one looks at porn because it feels bad. No one gossips or is vindictive because it, it, it feels bad. No, no, one, no one drinks too much because it, it feels bad. In the moment, it feels good. And so you have this competing truth in you that says, if you do this, it'll feel good. You have another competing truth in you that says this. If you're a believer, the other one, the new man, tells you this. It says, if I do this sin, I will offend God. If I do this sin... It'll offend God. And those are the two truths that we're wrestling with in that moment. If I do this, I'm going to offend God. Or if I do this, it'll, it'll feel good. So then the question is what? What does the new you really want to do? What does the new you really want to do? Do you want to just do something that feels good for a moment? Or do you want to do something that honors God and doesn't offend him? That's where we have to figure this thing out. When I look at this, I, I think about the danger of, of choosing wrongly here and choosing wrongly over and over and over again. Um, I was talking to Matt, our family pastor. He'll be up here in a moment to do the benediction. And as we were talking about this, we were, we were reminded of like 15 years ago when we were doing ministry together in, in Texas. And we illustrated this little truth to our, to our kids with a jingle. You ready? Here it is, a little, little jingle. If it, it might help you as well. It says this. There are only two options on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Give it to you again, those of you that need a little, little something to help you remember it. There are only two options on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Only two options. Am I going to please God and not offend him, or am I going to please myself and seek the pleasure in that moment? So here's the danger. The danger is, is if I continue to choose to please myself over and over and over again, let me show you what the passage says. And man, this scares me to death. You ready? I, I got to spend a little time here before I get real practical because the rest of the passage is really highly practical. Look at what he says in verse 18. Talking again about the old man. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Those of you that know the writings of Paul, you can find this again in Colossians. Most famously, he writes it in Romans chapter 1. I'm going to put it up on the, 
on the screen for you because I want you to see it. This idea of what happens when we have a hard heart. He says, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Then he goes on, he says, I handed them over to those desires. Handed them over. When I read Ephesians here and, and it says he, they gave themselves over to it. And let me tell you why this scares me to death. It scares me to death to think that I could so harden myself to the new man that I would be calloused to the Holy Spirit's prompting or prick. Does that scare you? It scares me to death to think I'll just please myself and think there's no consequence. Oh, there's going to be consequence all the time. But probably the greatest consequence is to know that my heart could be so callous to, to the Holy Spirit that I don't sense him. I don't feel conviction. I don't feel guilt. I'm numb to God and to the things of God. Does that scare you? Man, if I just keep on pleasing self, if I just keep on living in the old man, if I don't battle this out, then my heart could be hardened. Those of us that, that know the, the story of Exodus, the first five plagues, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart and hardened his heart and hardened his heart. And then the next five plagues, it said what? God hardened his heart. God says, you want a hard heart? There it is. There it is. Same thing Jesus said to the Pharisees. You don't want to see. And since you don't want to see, I'll speak in parable because you, you don't want to see it. You don't want to know about me. And we, we can be that way. So I just want to talk about this just for a moment because it scares me to death and I just need to check. To be honest with you, the minute I saw this passage, it's the first thing I thought of. It's the first conversation I had with my wife. How can I know if I have a hard heart? How can I know if my heart is calloused? How can I do that? Let me, let me give you a few of them here. You ready? The first one is this, isolation. I think we isolate ourselves because we don't want to have a spiritual conversation. We don't want to have anybody speak truth to us. We don't really want to, to get into it, and so we isolate. And you say, ooh, I'm here this morning. I'm not isolated. Listen, anybody can fake it for an hour and a half. Come on. I mean, isolation is the idea that I, I'm really not going to sit across the table and get real. Isolation. Another one would be pride. This one's dangerous because for us, when we, we think about this callousness of heart, we, we say things like this. I'm not as bad as they are. I could stop any time. I'm okay. I'm, I'm not near as bad as them or that couple's way worse than we are. I'm, I got this totally under control. That's pride. Uh, Another one might be bitterness. The idea that bitterness because of something that's happened, maybe it's failure, maybe it's tragedy. And we just allow that bitterness to just keep 
just keep forming a hard shell over our heart because we're mad and angry and and it just just puts this callous shell over our heart because we just don't really want to deal with it. And maybe maybe a last one would be when we think about, you know, the idea that man my I'm isolated and I've got pride and I got bitterness. All of that results in numbness. Numbness. Can I be really honest with you? When I sit down here on this front row sometimes and the songs are over and I I really didn't engage it, there's a part of me that wonders, why didn't I want to sing? Makes me nervous. Right? Makes me nervous. I, I'll tell you, I went through a rough season several years ago. It was before we moved here, and man, thank goodness for my wife who prayed for me regularly because I went through a very dark season. And I'm telling you, I went to church and I was there, but I wasn't there. And man, it, it would have been so easy to just let that thing callous over because I was mad and bitter. How do we change it? How do, you, how do you change this for us, right? If you're a believer, this is what I think we do, and this is what Scripture tells us to do. The Bible says over and over and over again, it says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. So those of us who are in isolation, those of us who, who are with pride and, 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 and not talking with anybody, humbling ourselves would mean, I'm going to go get with somebody, and I'm going to go tell the truth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit across the table and I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to confess. I'm going to repent. I'm going to do that. I am going to call out to God to soften my heart. And James makes it clear, if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Would you call out to him? Listen, as much as I love preaching and teaching God's word, there's something better than that. The best part of my week is when I sit across the table from somebody at a breakfast or a lunch and we just get real. I would, I would be honored to do that with you. We got Matt and Jeremy. We got Kim and Ann. We got elders. We got small group leaders. And they would love to sit across a table and get real. Don't live in isolation. Don't live in isolation. Humble yourself. Confess. Repent. Surround yourself with believers who can help. Right? The danger of it is, is it just gets hard. So again, I'm going to ask you, what's the new you really want to do? Is the new you want to live in isolation? Is the new you want your heart heart hard? Or does the new you want to draw near to God? What does it want to do? So what are the practical steps for those of you who say, man, I, I don't think my heart is hard. Like, I feel convicted about sin. I feel shame. I want to quit some stuff. I want to add some things. Like, I want to grow and change and be more like Jesus. Paul gives you a threefold I want to say step process, but it's not in steps. I think it all happens together. Let me show it to you here, and then we're going to get real practical. You ready? Because I want us to not just have it up here in our minds. I want us to have some real handles for what to do. Let's look at it again. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 20. He says, but this is not how you learned about the Messiah. 
assuming you heard about him and were taught by him because the truth is in Jesus, you took off your former way of life. That's the first one. Put off. Then he goes down and says in verse 23, you were being renewed in the spirit of your minds. Second step. 24, you put on the new step, or the new self, step three. There it is. He's, he's telling you the secret to this. I, I do not know how many times I have come to Ephesians 4 personally and for others for this very reason. You ready? This is it. Put off the old, renew my mind, put on the new. There it is. It is a principle all throughout Scripture. Put off the old, renew my mind, put on the new. Now, the rest of the chapter, he is going to give you those three things with five examples. Are you ready to see them? Let me just show them to you. There's a sermon in each and every one of these. Obviously, I don't have time for that. I think Tim Keller's done one on each of these. Go go look him up. He's fantastic. I just want to show you the pattern here. You ready? Let's look at it. Verse 25. Since you put away lying, put off. Put off lying. If you're a liar, you put it off. Quit lying. That's not what you're supposed to do. Look at what he says next. Put on. Speak the truth, each one to his neighbor. That's profound, isn't it? Stop lying and put on what? Tell the truth. Now, look at this. He's going to show you how your mind is renewed. Look at the next one. Because we are members of one another. There's where your mind's renewed. See, I think this is, all of these are about relationship and the Jews and Gentiles. He talks about this all throughout the book. The Jews and Gentiles are apparently not getting along together so well. And I can imagine it's even escalated to lying to one another. And he just says this, hey, quit lying, tell the truth. And this is the reason why. Renew your mind. You're all part of the same body of Jesus Christ. Renew your mind. They're not Jews and Gentiles. They're an arm and a leg and a nose and an ear. And Jesus is our head. Renew your mind. Let's look at the next one. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Put off, put off sinful anger. What do we put in its place? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Keep things current. We know anger is sinful when we don't handle it in a timely fashion. You go to bed and we're still angry at each other, not so good. Got to put that off. Why? Don't give the devil an opportunity. Renew your mind. Most of the time we just say, I'm just going to bed. They don't understand that. But what you haven't done is renewed your mind to think what? The devil could do this. The devil could use this. The devil could use this sinful anger and this thing, instead of being handled in a couple of minute conversation with some I'm sorry's and forgiveness, is now going to escalate into a week long battle. Right? Put off, put on, renew your mind. Let's look at the next one 28. The thief must no longer steal. Don't steal. Fantastic. What do you think you put on if you're not going to steal? He must do honest work with his own hands. Get a job. I mean, like the Bible's real simple, isn't it? Put off. 
put on. Then he says this, so that he has something to share with anyone in need. When you steal, what are you stealing for? Just yourself. You get a job and you work, then you have some extra for what? People in need so we can do things like give hope. That's so renew your mind. It's not just about me. Put off, put on, renew your mind. Uh, 29, no foul language is to come from your mouth. Put off foul language. Put it off, right? We went to the River Bluff Lexington game. We stayed a little too close to the student section, and my <laughs> twins got some uh, vocabulary we didn't have before, right? Put off foul language. But only what is good for building up someone in need. What comes out of your mouth ought to be what? Edifying. Put off foul language. Put on edifying language. Why? So that it gives grace to those who hear. They hear foul language out of your mouth. There's no grace in that. And then my favorite one is, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. So when foul language is coming out of your mouth, the resident of your heart is grieved. Renew your mind and think, man, this is more than just about me right now. Last but not least, verse 31. All bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander must be removed from you, put off. Verse 32. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. That's what you put on. Why? Where's the renewing of your mind? Just as God also forgave you in Christ Jesus. Put off. Put on. Renew your mind. Let me... Let me talk about this principle a little bit further here. I, I could go on and on. The, the thing about this is, is that not everything's listed here. There's tons of stuff that we struggle with that's not listed here, right? So let's just talk about the principle as a whole. First thing I would tell you is this. Most of the time, we want to quit something. It's right here. We want to quit it. I don't want to look at porn anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to drink too much. I, I don't want to gossip about somebody. I want to quit this. I want to quit it. I want to stop. This is what we do. We put it off. But we don't put anything in its place. And so what happens in two weeks? It's right back there. What is the put off, put on principle? Something has to go in its spot. Something has to go there. So if I am not going to gossip about my coworker anymore, I'm tired of this. I don't want to do it. I know it's wrong. I've been convicted about it. I am going to put something in its spot. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to build a relationship with them. I am going to talk kindly to them and about them. I have put something in its spot. That's what we have to do. You have to put off the old and put on the new. I mean, the list goes on. I am going to quit whatever, put something in its spot. If you don't, it just comes right back. That's what it does. I'll give you the inverse of that. Sometimes we say, I want to add some things to my life. I want to put on reading the Bible. I want to put on getting in a small group. I want to put on going to church on a regular basis or serving or whatever it is. Here's what has to happen. Something has to leave in order for this new thing to find a spot. Or what else ends up happening? We added it to an already busy life and schedule, and it just ends up fading away in two weeks. 
That's why gym memberships in March, in March are non-existent because something had to die for this to come in its spot. Are you with me? You want to read your Bible every day? That means I got to take off 10 more minutes of sleep so it'll hit. If I want to get, if I want to add a small group, then that means I need to give up a night of the week at home watching something. It's just the way it works, right? Now, let me be clear. If I stop there, that's called behavior modification. I do not believe God wants just for our behavior to be modified. Now, all the elementary school teachers in the room, you're great with that, right? You'd love for little Johnny to put off throwing an eraser and sit still and listen. Fine, behavior modification works. We just, no big deal, right? God actually wants to change your heart. That's the reason we need to renew our minds. We need to renew our minds. So we come at this and we say, you know what? I need to make sure, and I want, I want so much to follow Jesus that I want to add these things and take off these things because of what Christ Jesus has done for me. All right, so listen, I'm, how do we renew our minds? I, I, I'm, I'm even hesitant to tell you, but I'm going to tell you, right? There's the cliche here. We would say here at Radius that there are two keystone habits, two keystone habits that we think are identifying markers of people who are growing and changing and becoming more like Jesus. They're not the only ones. They're not magic bullets. They're, they're just two keystone habits. One is come to worship on a regular basis, and the second one is read your Bible. And I know you're all, I knew he was going to say it, just read your Bible more, and I'm going to be fixed. No. I just would be wrong to tell you that because the Bible says from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, the wellspring of life is right here. So what comes in is going to come out. So at some point, we need to start putting the right things in, right? So coming to church, reading your Bible, those are some really important ones. And I think we ought to do that, and I, and I hope we do. I, I'm not, I don't think it's magic voodoo. If you start doing it, that all your life gets fixed, but I do think it cannot hurt. Can't hurt. Let me take this one step further for us. You ready? For me, when I think about sin and I think about that thought that comes into my mind, because we would agree that sin typically starts with that thought, this is what happens. We let our imagination run wild with that thought. Back in Genesis 6, when, um, when God was going to flood the earth, he said, here's the deal. The inclination of every inclination of the thoughts of man are evil. The word inclination there is yeser in Hebrew, and it means imagination. It means the imagination is evil. Listen, you know how this works. Can we just be real for a minute? You know how this works. Fellas, you don't take a thought captive. You see in one of those clickbait ads at the bottom of the screen or See something you shouldn't see, and immediately what happens in your mind? You let your imagination run wild with it instead of taking the thought captive. And the minute we let the imagination run wild, we want to act on it. 
I mean, that, at the end of the day, that's what, a, that's what an affair is, isn't it? It's just the imagination run wild. Um, we sit back and we can't wait to get home because it's been a hard day. And you know what? I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to have several beers. And we can't get our mind off of anything else, no matter what comes our way. Imagination runs wild. I can't believe my coworker said that to me. In the whole drive home, what's your imagination doing? It's running wild. What you would say and what you would do. And how you would solve it. Let me ask you this. What would it look like if our imagination ran wild for the things of God? What would it look like just for us to think, you know what? Man, I, I can't wait to spend time in the Word. I, I can't wait to get in a small group. Like our imagination runs wild for what my marriage could look like or what my kids could look like or my neighbors coming to know Jesus. You, you want to know why I think we love it when John gets up here and talks about six more churches in a few years and, and doubling our groups because his imagination is running wild about what could be in the Midlands. Does yours? Man, what would it look like for us to let our imaginations run wild so that when we ask the question, what is the new you really want to do? The new you wants to do that. Wants to do that. I'll close with this. The Westminster Catechism tries to answer the question, what's the chief end of man? What's the main reason for man? And he says this, the, the chief end of man, main purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. John Piper in his book, Desiring God, which he wrote 25 years ago, he changed that little catechism. He took one word out and he replaced it with the word by. He took and out and put by. He said, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. What is the new you want to do? I think the new you wants to enjoy God and his goodness forever. That's what he wants to do. Let me pray for us.